This is Sam. And this is Jen. And this is Pegasus Weekly. It is Tuesday, April 13th, and we are coming in hot from Pegasus HQ in Middleburg, Virginia. For our first story, we are going to India to look at some high drama in the equestrian politics. Seems the Nepalese Olympic Committee didn't know they had an equestrian team in the international qualifiers because India entered as Nepal instead. For our second story, we're leaving Nepal and dropping in on England to cover the sad passing of Prince Philip Duke of Edinburgh. Turns out Philip wasn't just Aunt Lizzie's husband, he actually helped make the FEI what it is today. For our third and final story, helmets. Equestrian helmets. They're selling like hotcakes and the sales train doesn't seem to have an end in sight. Alright, let's hit our three stories. For our first story, the Indian Army just competed in a tent pegging tournament in India pretending to be Nepal. Nepal? Yeah, Nepal. Apparently, the Nepalese government didn't know about it, nor did they give their permission. Yeah, it turns out that in India, the military kind of rules the equestrian world. Historically, in many countries and not just India, equestrian sports have a rich military origin. We've all seen Gladiator, we've all seen Game of Thrones, horses and war have always kind of been a thing. Yeah, back in the day, you weren't going to storm a castle on foot. (laughs) No, you were not. Not with all that heavy armor on. When tanks came along in the First World War, Horses in combat kind of fell out of vogue. And with the wind down of horses in combat came a wind down of the prominence of horses in military. Not in India, though. No, not in India. In India, the military still spends a lot of time and money on horses. You see, in India, they have a caste system, which is their own version of what we in the Western world think of as social classes. And in the military, if you're an officer as opposed to an enlisted soldier, joining the Indian prestigious riding teams is a fast track to the top. You may get that next job that you had your eye on if you can compete in the prestigious military horse team. So much so that in this case, it seems they decided to promote this Indian military team to not only a higher rank, but another nationality. You did such a good job, we're just sending you to Nepal. To Nepal, Jen! To Nepal. Last week, the Nepalese Olympic Committee found out that a Nepalese team had competed in an international tent pegging event trying to qualify for the upcoming champs in 2023. There was only one problem with this, though, for Nepal. Yeah, they didn't have a team in the competition. Or so they thought. It turns out that the Indian Army had too many teams to enter as India, so they decided they would just enter as Nepal and, you know, just not tell Nepal. Not tell Nepal? Not tell Nepal. Nepal and India have an interesting history. So Nepal used to be a territory of sorts of India, and India used to be a territory of Britain. But when Britain told India they could be independent, they didn't necessarily say or not say that Nepal could be independent of India. So Nepal is today its own nation, but it kind of has this weird historic semi-vague legislative relationship with India. So I guess India just assumed it could bully Nepal into letting it pretend to be them for this event. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So how did this happen? How does the Indian army get away with this? Well, they almost didn't. In India, there is a civilian equestrian sports body called the EFI or Equestrian Federation of India, not to be mistaken with the FEI. And they have been trying to wrestle control of equestrian sports away from the Indian military for years without much luck. Yeah, it seems in India, in the world of horses, some good old-fashioned corruption is all it takes to keep control. That's right. The military, being the strategic organization that it is, decided it would just stack the deck, or in this case, stack the board. Even though they already have the best horses, the best fields, and the best training facilities, they also decided they wanted to own the EFI. They went over to the EFI, knocked on the door, and asked if they could join. And in doing so, managed to make the president and secretary senior military personnel. That's right. 
The EFI leadership are now ex-generals and colonels from the military, so effectively, the EFI is now just the military. You know, all militaries encourage reading Sun Tzu's Art of War, which famously proclaims, know thy enemy. Well, I guess in this case, it seems the Indian army took it one step further and didn't just know their enemy, the EFI, they chose to become them. So what's our takeaway here? Last week, the Indian military entered into a championship qualifying tent picking tournament masquerading as Nepal. And when the Nepalese Olympic Committee found out about it, they weren't happy. For our second story, we're going to England where sadly Prince Philip passed away this past week. Terrible. As an Australian, I am part of the Commonwealth and thus the British Empire. So in a way, I kind of lost my boss this last week. It's no secret that the entire royal family has a major love of horse sports. You always hear about the queen's incredible relationship with her horses, and we all get so excited when new photos are released of her out riding and looking just ever so exquisite. And it's not just Aunt Liz. Princes Charles, William, and Harry are all excellent polo players because, hey, it's the game of kings. And what else do you do when you are in line for the throne? But did you know that Princess Anne herself earned many medals at the FEI European Eventing Champs and was the first British royal to compete at the Olympic Games when she rode in Montreal in 1976? Can't say I did. Is, is that bad? I suppose as a penal colony member, I feel like I should have known that. More than that, Princess Anne's daughter Zara competed at the London 2012 Olympic Games in eventing. Wow. I guess I really do need to sit down and study up on my royal family facts. Yeah, you do, Sam. Back to dear Prince Philip, though. It cannot be understated how much he did for the equestrian sports we have all come to know and love. Yeah, it turns out he basically built the entire FEI infrastructure that we know and love today. Although the FEI was founded in 1921, which was the same year that Prince Philip was born, it didn't really become the institution we know of today until about the second half of last century, coincidentally during the period that Prince Philip became its president. Utilizing his celebrity power as Duke of Edinburgh, he assumed control of the FEI in 1964, becoming its president at an age of 43. He then went on to serve as president for 20 years, which concluded in 1986. I wouldn't want to be the guy who had to have that conversation with him. Um, excuse me, Duke? I think your time is done. That guy was actually a girl, and that question never had to be asked because he was superseded by Princess Anne. Oh, right. So it was more like a quiet internal family discussion as opposed to a public challenge of power. Exactly. I don't know if you know this, but royals, they keep it in the fam. All jokes aside, though, the Duke did a lot for us, and we should all be extremely thankful. While he was president, Prince Philip started the FBI Jumping Nations Cup Series, which is now a major part of the elite athlete's calendar. He also helped create the FEI World Equestrian Games and even encouraged the launch of the FEI Jumping World Cup in the 1970s. Exactly. So a lot of that organization, structure, and regulation that we take for granted these days, we have Prince Philip to thank for. Not to mention the drastic increase in the popularity the sport enjoyed during his tenure as the president of FEI due to his position and simultaneous careers in polo and driving. And to this day, we are all benefiting from that increase in popularity as the huge audiences, media attention, and sponsorships that continue to make the sport go round and, you know, put some money back in our pockets all come from the prince. So what's our takeaway for our second story, Jen? Last week, the equestrian world sadly lost a tremendous asset when Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, passed away. For our third and final story, we're looking at helmets. Equestrian riding helmets, to be exact. As of today, April 9th, the latest market reports reveal that the equestrian helmet market is on a tear. A tear, people, a tear. In 2019, the global equestrian helmet market was valued at $71 million. 
Since then, the market has been growing at 4.1% year over year, and now it's forecast to hit a valuation of 84 million by 2025. That's an increase in market size of over 18% in five short years. Not too shabby, not too shabby at all. Now, the brands doing the best out of this growth include all your usual suspects, Tipperary, Troxel, Casco, GPA, Horka, Cask, etc. As far as the market research is concerned, the core reason fueling this growth is the growing popularity of equestrian sports. Add on top of that, USCF rules and guidelines insisting that helmets are worn in all licensed competitions, and you have a perfect recipe for growth. That recipe is a yummy little dish called regulatory capture. Ooh, yummy dish. Exactly, regulatory capture, which is when a rule set by the governing body creates an environment when everyone must use a certain product and thus must buy said product if they want to participate. Regulatory capture can be found everywhere if you look closely enough. Think about car insurance. The government insists you cannot drive your car on the road without it, but you don't buy it from the government. You buy it from the insurance companies. Exactly. The fat cats and insurance agencies sell it, and boy, do they make a lot of money off our legal requirement to buy insurance. So the equestrian helmet market is exactly the same. If there is an increase in people entering the equestrian sport, and they are all mandated by the powers that be to wear a helmet if they want to compete, then ipso facto, you have market growth. Yeah, but we think it may be a little more than that. Tell them what we're thinking, Jen. Well, when you walk around a horse show these days, you can't help but notice that the number of equestrian apparel brands are exploding. Exploding, Jen. Exploding. When I was a kid, we had like two brands to pick from. Black and navy. Not anymore. Now, there seems to be a new brand every day. Pretty much every day. And our hunch is that this hypergrowth of brands is because of the new generation of equestrians and the rise of platforms like Instagram and TikTok that give people a platform to show off their style. Exactly. You don't only have to look good at the horse show now. Now you have a whole new audience to share your exquisite horse fashion with, your non-horse friends. If you were going to spend hours training, putting in the effort and doing the dirty work, you may as well cash in on the social credit you get when you get to finally post those pics and vids on the gram. Add to that the drastic increase in our ability to build and distribute our own products and brands with sites like Amazon, Etsy, and Shopify, and you have a perfect storm for market explosion. So what's our takeaway, Jen? The equestrian helmet market is growing by about 5% year on year, fueled by an increase in riders, regulatory capture, and the growth of social media platforms and e-commerce tools. Before we finish up, a quick public service announcement for all our USEA listeners out there. On March 1st, the USEA Board of Governors submitted a rule change proposal to US Equestrian or USEF modifying Appendix 3 of the USEF rules for eventing. The rule change was intended to ensure that riders and their horses obtain more than just a minimal amount of experience before advancing through the levels. That said, the rule received a lot of backlash from committees and members, so much that it resulted in the proposal to be withdrawn and the USEA promised to review the rule change. So the public service announcement that the USEA want our eventing listeners to hear is that the task force to review the new rule has officially been established. That's right. It's made up of 10 USCA representatives, one from each area, and it's chaired by Jonathan Elliott from Area 7. If you want to read about it and see who your area rep is, head over to useventing.com slash news media slash news to find the details. Okay, that's it from Pegasus HQ this week. We hope you all enjoyed our equestrian ear nuggets who now live rent-free in your head. You are welcome. And as always, please, please, please do head over to www.thepegasus.app and join the herd. Also, keep an eye out for the Pegasus app, the actual app, that will be hitting the Google Play stores and Apple app stores very soon. 
The Pegasus community is only as strong as we all make it. So the more, the merrier. Also, if you want to learn more about Pegasus and see how we built this podcast and company, follow us on Instagram at the Pegasus app and at the Pegasus app BTS, which stands for behind the scenes. And before we go, we want to give a shout out to our newest Pegasus members. Hello, Cece Warwick, who is a working equitation gal from Selena, Kansas. And g'day to James Woods, who is an eventer out of Riverton, Wyoming. And make sure you check out our girl, Alison Curtis, who teaches equine yoga in Madison, Virginia. And don't forget Heather Bristol, an amazing equine communicator who calls Sanford, Florida home. And one of our favorites, Whitney Blanchard, who owns and operates North House Retirement Boarding Bar in our very own backyard of Middleburg, Virginia. Down to Marietta, Georgia, where our girl Victoria Hofler is doing amazing work with the equine charity Project Charlie Oscar. And finally, back up to St. Louis, Missouri, where Wendy Neckemeyer is doing awesome things with her charity, Special Horses. Check it out. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>